0: It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Gainey.
1: What's up, y'all? Live moves here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny wexelman Hi, everyone. I'm Steffi smalls
0: What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsey. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Got another very special guest as we're gearing up for the college football season. A guy that covers Oklahoma about as well as anybody. You catch him on all their games, and that's Chris Plank. Chris, what's up, brother?
0: Not much, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be on. My schedule was crazy today. You were very very patient with me, so thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on, man.
1: Oh, uh, you're welcome, and it it's a pleasure to have you. And I wanted to, to start off with you, just coming off the the softball national championship for Oklahoma. You know, when we talk about the performance of of Giselle Juarez, the you know she won five of her six starts in the in the women's college world series. But also, the thing that impressed me the most about that college women's college world series run was the great resolve you know you lose the first game to to the Cinderella James Madison who just had an incredible run and then you also lose game one of the championship series to Florida State but that team just continued to to bounce back and to get where they want to go can you just talk about it you know it's not how you start but it's how you finish
0: love it I love that analogy um you know this team hadn't really faced a lot of on-the-field adversity this year. They'd only lost two games going into the NCAA tournament. So you think about overcoming adversity, that adversity they had overcome during the season was was beyond wins and losses, right? They lost the game to Georgia, they lost the game to Oklahoma State, and that was it. I mean, those were the only two they had. So the adversity they overcame during the season was what many other teams had to, right? With schedules that were shifted, COVID, you had you know, weather weather was horrible to start the season. We had several series that were iced out, rained out, froze out, whatever you want to look at it. So they had learned how to overcome adversity, and they became, you know, his, history will have them as the fourth team to ever come back from losing their first game and work through the loser's bracket, elimination bracket. It's not really a consolation bracket, but however you want to phrase it. And they became just the fourth team to lose their first game in the championship series. And still work their way back to a title. Um, they did it because their pitching stepped up. Their hitting it had been on point all season long. They were a very special group, and to me, they've got the greatest coach in college softball in Patty Gasso. So it's a really, it was a really special group, fun to follow. And you know, they only lose three players off this team, so there's a really good chance they could be back in this mix next year.
1: Uh, there's no doubt about that, and it's a it's a it was a great run. And before we move on to football, I just wanted to get your your general thoughts about the you know, kind of the kind of the rise of of women's sports over the last couple of years but you know, we've gotten to where you know, they're it's really exciting to watch people are finally realizing just how exciting it is to watch you know these sports like women's basketball softball had the mm-hmm. had great ratings for the women's college world series and all throughout the tournament just just what have you seen over the last couple of years that has given so many eyes on the couple of you know women's sports that are out there
0: well, I, I think it's it's a lot. Number one, you have a lot more young girls. Like I have two daughters myself who are growing up playing sports and watching sports. Um, and then in that, it's not just being forced to watch what dad's watching. You know, they've got their players they can watch. There's, you know, it's kind of wild to think about it. The Sooners had a starting second baseman, T.R.A. Jennings, that talked about growing up watching Sid Romero, who just graduated two years ago. Um, it just kind of shows you how that they're being given more of a platform because more people are exposed to them at a younger age. And, you know, Chris Plank's daughter, Gwen, my, my seven-year-old, she's not forced to just be a fan of, of. I don't know Clayton Kershaw. She can be a fan uh, of G. War. And sure, there's been greats before, like Lisa Fernandez and others in softball, but they haven't really been given this stage that ESPN and others are giving them now. Matt and I think we realize it's a good product. Softball's fun. It's a two-hour game. It's over quick. You watch some stars. It's you know, it's energetic. Um, there's always cheering and yelling going on, and there's pointing and there's trash talking, but it's done in a in a different way. So. I I love the sport. I wasn't the biggest softball fan a decade ago, but it's it's turned me into a fan, and I I can't get enough of it. I'm so proud to be able to call games, not just for Oklahoma, but I did games for Westwood One this year, and I learned a lot about you know being a better play by play guy, but also the sport. And I feel like I learn every year, and it's just it's a blast to watch, man. It really is fun.
1: Yeah, it, it really is, and, and so many people are, are realizing are realizing that now. And and kind of switching over to the football side of things now. We just had the you know, we just had the proposed twelve team college football playoff format. Just wanted to know what your initial thoughts were on that. We talked about it a little bit on on the last show with, with Zach Barnett from Football Scoop. But what what are kind of your your main takeaways from the proposed proposed format? Was it you know Notre Dame not getting a buy? Was it the amount of because what really shocked me, but I, I love this, was the fact that we're going to have, we could possibly have the six highest ranked conference champions. It's not just the power five that gets the automatic bid and one group of five. You know, when you think about last year, we had Cincinnati and Coastal could have been in the playoff. So really the the group of five specifically, you know, I think about a guy like Gus Malzahn who just took the UCF job. You know, things, things are really looking up for the group of five, especially – uh, at a school like UCS specifically?
0: Yeah, UCF, Cincinnati, my alma mater, the University of Tulsa. You know, you, you feel like in that conference you have a seat at the table now. The first thing that caught me was 12. I won't lie. When I first saw 12, I thought, that, that seems like a, a bit much. I was kind of a minimalist. Um, I didn't have a problem with four. I could understand when you look across the college football landscape how you look at four and – you say, I'm tired of the same old teams, you know, pull Notre Dame out one year, put in Oklahoma, but it's always Clemson, Bama, Ohio state, and then a combination of Oklahoma and Notre Dame. But as this process has played out, I'm a big fan of it. I don't know if you truly would. I don't know if I'd go down uh, and say, I'm like my man, Chris Childer is over at Sirius XM and say, I'm not an expansionist, but I love the idea of 12 and you know, the ESPN came out, and as we're talking, you know, Nicole Rabak had a really solid article today where you talked to, I think it was like the vice president of college football programming, and in a lot of ways, his take is one that I agree with. The toothpaste is out of the tube. Playoffs not going to go away. We're not going to go back to a situation where you can say playoffs not working because it is working. It just needs to, it needs to be enhanced. How do you enhance it? make it possible where more teams can be a part of it because you're not going to get away from, with four teams, people seeing Penn State lose early in the season and saying, oh, they're out. How quickly last year were we trying to eliminate the Pac-12 from the conversation? Oh, Pac-12's done. They lost a the game. So I, get, I like the idea of 12. And I didn't at first, but the reason I do is because you don't just say power five and that's it. You open it up, as you said, for everyone else. And secondly, you get good teams that are still going to have a shot. You, you still get, you know, an, an Oklahoma last year. I wish Oklahoma would have had a shot last year. Now, I don't know if anyone was going to stop Alabama, but OU was playing really good football down the stretch. I would have loved to have seen how Coastal and Indiana and then, it, you know, in that uh, Cincinnati could have done in a playoff setting. So, a, a very long answer to a, a short, succinct question. 12 shocked me at first, but the more I read into it, the more I studied, it. I really dig it. I really like it.
1: Whenever, whenever you think about just how much money this new 12-team playoff is going to bring in, it kind of leads you to think about, you know, the arms race that's going on right now. Everybody right. wants to have the best facilities. Everybody wants to have, you know, the best recruits on campus, really get a feel for that school. What is there any kind of percentage possibly that you would put on, say, you know, a, a, a guy that, that's looking at a Pac-12 school, let's say a USC or an Oregon Now this might be bad examples because they're kind of national brands, but when you talk about being able to have them at the table, no, not, not that they weren't, that they weren't before, but the PAC 12 has been a little bit weaker the past few years. So if you you have a guy there say, Hey, like you can stay close to home. Whereas if you want to play in the sec, you're going to have to travel so far, just what kind of, percentage would possibly would you put on kids that could be swayed to stay home by the upgraded facilities by being able to stay close to home? Well I,
0: I think now you have an opportunity to where you can say all right we're not out of this as soon as we lose a game. You know we we've got a chance to make the playoffs. I think the biggest battle in recruiting right now and I and I I don't cover a ton of recruiting But because of of my job, but I love it and I love to follow it. I think the biggest problem that everyone has in recruiting against the SEC is just the amount of players they're putting in the NFL. You know, that that to me is one of the hardest things is if I'm, you know, 18, 19 years old and I'm an elite prospect, sure, I want to go somewhere where I'm close to home. Sure, I want to go somewhere where, you know, I've got a chance to play for a program that can win a title, but I want to go somewhere where I'm going to the NFL. You know, or I I know that I'm gonna be prepared the best I can for the next level. So to me, you know, facilities are great, all the different uniforms you can wear, wear alternate jerseys and what whatever. Um, draw them on the best path to the NFL. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, the big it's it's a development. I think smart players are seeing that coming out of high school. Um will you know, will it help then the the Pac-12 schools to to have this expanded playoffs? I think so. I think it helps everyone. Will it? But it's a long. I think it's a long play when we start getting into how it can affect recruiting. Because um, I think I think Georgia, excuse, yeah, well, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, they've got a stranglehold on things right now. Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma's starting to inch in there a little bit. Um, but you got, we got Texas A and M. We got a lot of work to do to try to reach some of those pro preparation numbers that are taking place right now in Tuscaloosa.
1: That's de- that's definitely true. And and kind of looking at, at some other changes that are happening in college football. I'll Talk about possibly you know NIL is going to come into play here in several states before uh, July first. Maybe the maybe the NCAA will pass something before then. We don't not really sure about that. But whenever you start thinking about Oklahoma and the effects that that NIL could have. On Oklahoma is, and a and how recruiting's been going for for Lincoln Riley. Just how much, how much will NIL kind of play a role in, in Oklahoma's recruiting? Because Lincoln Riley obviously put putting together you no know, top ten recruiting classes every year now.
0: Yeah, and I and I think we're in a big battle right now because our state's NIL rights going to um, basically give everyone a head start. Before the colleges can rein it in, or in, I shouldn't say colleges, the NCAA can rein it in and have one universal plan. Uh, I know Oklahoma's got a proposal that's working its way to the governor right now. I know s- several states have already passed it, so I think first of all we got to find out what's going to happen first. Are we are okay? Is NIL here? Right? Have we reached a point to where? with the states that have passed it, it's here and there's nothing you can do about it, or are we still in the process to where we're fighting to get it started? And the second part of that is, yeah, the you know, I, I think Lincoln's been on the cutting edge of this. I think a lot of coaches are in programs. You've got to create programs that help these student-athletes maximize what they can possibly make, and you give them good advice, and you put them in positions to where it's not just, you know, so I say, hey, NIL's here, you can go do this spot for a car dealer, but – you're helping them maximize it, and you're helping them do everything they can to further enhance their brand, right? And then in enhancing their brand, make themselves more valuable beyond just what they're doing on the field. So that that's a long, long, I guess, meandering answer to say I, I have a lot of work to do as a, a talk show host, as um, someone who loves college football on exactly – you know what the impact of NIL is going to be because to me, I think it's a watershed moment. I think it's a groundbreaking thing. I just think we got to figure out where we are and what direction we're heading with it.
1: Yeah, there's definitely so many, so many moving parts and so and so sure. many uh, and so many unknowns that they we're facing right now. But but I mean, I love the idea for for these kids to be able to to grow their brand and be able to market themselves like you know any other student on campus uh, would have the ability to do if they weren't playing sports. But before we get into Oklahoma offensively and defensively going into this season, I did want to kind of shift gears a little bit and ask you about a guy that that just came from Oklahoma, and went to South Carolina, in Shane Beaver. I know you had a lot of a great things to say about him sure. when we were talking in the in the pre-show, but you know he was with he was with Lincoln Riley for a couple of years. He really cherished his time there, and I know he still keeps in touch with with Lincoln Riley. I was listening to Coach Beamer talk the other day; he still calls coach riley to ask him you know about different things head coaching wise and the the reviews have just been so positive on him the last couple of weeks with recruits being back on campus really positive vibe there at south carolina what what are your thoughts on, on Shane beamer and just what kind of success he can have at south carolina
0: oh man i i love coach um coach beamer was to me just, just you he gets it And I think that goes beyond anything with his last name. I just think he's the kind of coach that is going to create an environment that's special. And he understands the X's and O's of it maybe better than anyone who's who's ever done it because he was birthed with it. It was part of his DNA. But I just... I don't even know where to start because that's how much of a fan I am of Shane Beamer. He's a great family man and creates an incredible family environment. You know, his his kids are ultra competitive and you can see how they want to win. But also, you know, he's, he's got an incredible wife, obviously. And my daughters played volleyball against his daughters whenever he was here in Norman. And he was always a great conversationalist. And it was never about football. You know, it was always about family. And I always dug that about him. You knew he was you knew he was destined to be a head coach, right? It just that's something you saw. Uh he's smart, he gets the recruiting side of it. You see it in the videos that are out there already. He's he's passionate about creating an environment that is not only family friendly but fan-friendly. And then in that, he knows the difference that a packed stadium can have whenever you're going up against an, oppo- uh, an, an opponent that, let's face it, you know, it might take a couple years to get that talent where it needs to be at South Carolina. But I hope I'm wrong. You know, maybe it doesn't. You know, maybe maybe there's a couple more J.C. Horns that are out there ready to step up and shut guys down in corner. I, I just, I love the dude. And I knew that it was inevitable that he was going to get a head coach's gig. It's just, I'm so happy that it's South Carolina. I know how much that place meant to him. And I just, I wish that, I, I hope everyone understands what they're getting when they're getting Shane Beamer and Shane's family. And he is, uh, he is a consummate pro. He has learned from the best. He has taken a little bit from his time with, you know, dad, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. He's created his own system. And I think it's really going to work well at South Carolina. Are there going to be growing pains along the way? Absolutely. You know, here's a guy that went from – um an assistant head coach being a head coach, and he's never been a head coach before. So I'm sure there's going to be some bumps along the way. I don't even know if he's truly been a coordinator before, but neither was Tabo Sweeney. Neither was Urban Meyer. So I'm a big Shane Beamer fan. He's smart. He's sharp. He's good with the media. He's good with the fans. Uh, he's going to create a great environment, and you're going to love him. Um, I, I, hope, I hope he wins quick. I, I know it could be a process, but he's going to be great for South Carolina football.
1: Uh, there's no, no doubt about that. And, and it's apparent, you know, just the past couple of weeks, just reading, listening to some of these recruits that have been on campus, they, they get that they see the family atmosphere that's there. And I think yeah. he's really going to really going to have a really nice class, you know, it's probably, you know, you're right. It's probably going to take a couple of years, but, but if you can, if you can close the deal on a couple of these top prospects in 22 going into 23, I think that's going to be going to be a great thing for him. Well,
0: Let's add to it. He he can sell these guys that they can come in and be on the ground floor of changing a culture and you're gonna to get to play. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, preparing for the NFL where some of these guys don't want to sit around. They want to play now, and you can get that in South Carolina. I love it.
1: Sure. There, there's no doubt about that. And and you know, people make a lot of the the naysayers of the higher kind of made a big deal about well, he's never been an offensive and defensive coordinator. Well, yeah, that's true. But like you mentioned, neither was Dabo, neither was Urban Meyer, but when you think about the type of molding that he's had, he does it his way based on the experiences that he's had, the great coaches he's been around. So me to me, that really makes up for you know, not having that offensive and of defensive coordinator experience. But he has been a special teams coordinator. He's been able yeah. to stand in front of a team. You know, The head coach and the special teams coordinator are really the only two that stand in front of the whole team. So he's, he's had that experience. So that will serve him very well as well.
0: Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, he's not going to call plays and he's not going to call plays for the defense, but he found smart guys to do that. And listen, his last name's Beamer. So, you know, your special teams are going to be on point. Um, yeah, he is, he's a leader. I'll tell you a quick story. And I, I don't know how we are on time, but, you know, we do post game interviews with coaches and obviously on the Sooner radio network, which is my nine to five, um, Coach will come in. We'll do an interview with Coach. And for home games, we get two assistants. And Shane, Coach Beamer is one of the best interviews you could ever have. And after one game, a we'll win, so it's not like he is bugging out after a loss, after a win. Um, and in the COVID era, you would have they would bring the guys to you. Well, they said, "Hey, Coach Beamer left." It's like he he had to get out. He had a family deal, and uh, we'll bring you the other coach. No big deal. It happens, right? the schedules are made months in advance and I can completely understand where they would forget. Most of the time you end up with one coach anyway, because another coach forgets. He sent me a message, you know, literally took the time when he got home to send me a direct message and say, Hey, I'm really sorry. I, I, it got away from me. I had family and, and, You know, I'll, we'll make it up to you, but he, he, who does that? You don't have to do that. you know, right. I'm the sideline guy on the radio network and it's, you know, it's obviously appreciated, but that's how much of a caring individual this dude is in that, even in a moment to where, Hey, you missed an interview. It happens. No big deal. It was a big enough deal to him to say, Hey, no, no, no. I was supposed to be there. I'm sorry to send a message and say, uh, well, I, I can't, I keep the message just because it was like, wow, that's something that I gotta, I gotta remember to do whenever I'm running late, like I had to do with you today or whatever I'm behind on something. It's just, it, it, it's, it's a little thing like that, that goes a long way, I think, in in really making you truly understand how special of a person he truly is.
1: Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. And I agree a hundred percent. And, and Chris, as we as we're moving towards the kind of the schematics of this season specifically for Oklahoma, I just wanted to hit on the offense with you real quick. Sure. You know Spencer Rattler, he's he's back. He he had an incredible end of the season. Oklahoma was really playing some great football. You know, had a, had a great shot to to be in that college football playoff conversation there at the end. But he's really looking for him to really take the next step this year because he's you know projected to be the, the top quarterback taken in the draft next year and then you look at the weapons around him this year you got Kennedy Brooks back he opted out last year but he's back and Eric Gray the transfer from Tennessee that that's really that's been really good in the backfield and then and then the weapons he that he has this year. You know you still have Marvin Mims still have Theo Wise, you still have and you have Mike Woods as well from Arkansas that that Oklahoma had a previous relationship with. What do you kind of see offensively as the strengths, and possibly the only weakness that you could come up with would be the offensive line that's a little unproven. Sure, yeah,
0: and I'll start there. You know, offensive line wise, it's left tackle has been a question the last couple of seasons for them. They had a true freshman in Anton Harrison that ended up getting the opening season start, but you know they would have to rotate in one of their experienced guys. Uh, and Eric Swenson to play there. There is a lot of hype around Wanya Morris, another one of the Tennessee transfers to hopefully take that left tackle job, but he might end up being a right tackle. So, you know, it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of talent on that offensive line. It's just okay. Who steps up to replace Adrian Elliot right tackle, and who's your leader in the middle? There's a young man named Andrew Rame from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, uh, that appears to be someone that could be counted on at center and he would only be i think a redshirt freshman but he he's a beast and you're losing creed humphrey to the second round of the draft and he had been a two-time captain for this team three year starter so you you need someone to step up and and be very solid in that center role for uh, offensive line coach bill Beanbow's offensive line but yeah you know you feel really good uh, and and i could i love the offensive line the analyst on our sidelines is gabe Eichert, a former offensive lineman so either you end up with two with with one new guard and one of the guards shifting out to tackle, or your transfer tackle is solid and you're able to keep your left and right guard and you know Tyrese Robinson and Marquise Hayes set at the guard spot, so they've got they've got options. So offensive line, you're right, is a big question, and running back was too. Um, before Kennedy Brooks opted back in. T.J. Pledger had transferred. I think he's out at UNLV now, maybe Utah. Um, you had the decision by Ramondre Stevenson to turn pro. So you were down You know, two backs. Pledger had a big game against Texas, but when Ramondre came back, he was a stud. And then you had your, um, your, your freshman from last year get in trouble and end up transferring out. So you lost three guys in that running back room that that's heavy depth to lose. And you didn't sign one in this upcoming class. So what happens? Well, you get an LSU transfer that comes in. You've got Eric Gray, as you mentioned, Marcus major has played a lot better. So, and and then the Kennedy Brooks ops back in as you laid out. So, I I mean, I think running back is going to be okay. Numbers wise, um, Spencer Radler, this is the first true off season he's had with this team. You know, think about that for a bit because last year was COVID. And the year before that, he didn't come in until the, the summer. So he didn't. And, and, Jalen Hurts, they were busy getting him ready for the season. So this is the first true full-off season that he's had. I think that's big for him. They need some of their receivers to step up. You mentioned the Arkansas transfer in Woods. Jane Hazelwood is another guy that I throw in there. You mentioned and, um Gosh, Marvin Mintz, they move from the outside to the inside, which I think is going to be a big difference for him. And Austin Stogner is a tight end that got hurt last year. But if he gets back to health, that was the security blanket for and that was a security blanket for Spencer Rattler, so uh, I think if they get him back 100, percent they're going to be good to go. And keep an ear open for Jaden Hazelwood. I think he's got a chance to have a really big year for this team after missing a majority of it last year with an injury.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Hazelwood's definitely a guy that, that can take the top off the defense. And and speaking of defense, switching over to the defensive side of the ball, Alex, you know this this Oklahoma defense was kind of was a punching bag a few years ago, but Alex Grinch has come in. And he's, he's really done an amazing job. You know, yeah. When you think about the the points per game was was just over 33, I believe, in 2018. Now down to just over 21 last year. And you talk about yards per play, it was just a little over six, I believe, in 2018. Now it's down to just a little bit over five. And he's really done it with speed and size. He's really done a, a great job. Who are some of those defensive stars that, that you're hoping step up? Uh, this year I know the, the big concern is can you carry the momentum over but when you think yeah. about a, a guy like you know billy bowman he might be able to step in as as a true freshman you have key lawrence coming in the secondary dj graham could be a breakout player uh, for oklahoma in the secondary as well so what's been the key over the last few years for alex grant in this group <sighs>
0: D. just you went from installing something to basically now finding guys to fit it, and uh, you hit on everyone. I mean, Billy Bowman's probably going to be their starting nickel. DJ Graham is probably going to start opposite um, Woody Washington at one corner. And you know, to me, the the names on this defense, you know, (laughs) numbers from COVID have have helped, right? I mean, you're looking at seven guys in that inside backer room. And before I jumped on with you, we were watching the. 2018 Big 12 championship game where they had three inside backers. You know, you had three. So they've got seven guys in that room, you know, five of which, maybe six, are going to play. Um, but their defensive line is loaded with depth. Now, they get Jalen. You you mentioned Kennedy Brooks opting back in. Jalen Redmond opting back in is a big deal for them. Um, You know, where's he going to play? Where's Reggie Grimes going to play after he was a 100-snap guy last year for him? You've got Nick Benito back, and he's one of those edge rushers who try to help take the place a little bit of a a Ronnie Perkins who decided to turn pro. Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah just got in some trouble the other night, but he was, to me, I think in line to be a big-time difference maker for this defense next year. So, yeah, they've got – you know, that's the thing is in years past whenever – we were talking about the defense. You would mention 10, 11 guys, and you're like, gosh, if so and so gets hurt, we're in big trouble. Now they've got depth. You know, they want to play 22 guys. And listen, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that this is, you know, the the Oklahoma defense of the early 2000s with Teddy Lehman and Rocky Kalmus and Roy Williams and Tommy Harris, but we're coming out of a spring where the strength of this team is its defense. And that's just something that you haven't heard, and not just OU but a big 12 country in quite a while. So this is a very talented defensive football team. And I think it's going to be a year when they can really, uh they can lean on them a little bit. I think it's going to be fun to watch. It takes a little pressure off the offense.
1: Definitely. And we're talking about playing complimentary football in the fact that Oklahoma can really do that this year. It leads yep. me to, leads me to, to the next question, you know, outside of, of Ohio state, outside of the Clemsons, the Alabama's, I really think this could be the year of Georgia or Oklahoma. You know, you look at those two programs. Those are two programs that are really in a great spot. Kirby Smart's got a great team at Georgia. Lincoln Riley's got a great team at Oklahoma. And we talk about the Big 12, looking at that. Iowa State's probably going to be pretty good with Purdy and it Paul will be, coming yeah. back. I'm interested to see what Texas is going to do with Sark in the first year. TCU's going to be good. So is is this Oklahoma's best opportunity to win a national championship.
0: Um, sure. And and you hope it's the best that will continue for years to come. I mean, you just – you mentioned a bunch of teams there, but of the teams that have a returning starting quarterback, Georgia and Oklahoma are it. Uh, Alabama's got a, a newcomer in Young. You would assume he's going to win the job. Clemson, DJ Uyunglele, we all had a chance to watch last year and how special he has a chance to be. Ohio State's got two five-star guys battling for the job. So it's not like suddenly nobody is playing quarterback for these teams. But, you know, th- this is a great opportunity for the Oklahomas and the Georgias and the Iowa States of the world or the Oregons because now you're looking around college football and you say, all right, we've got, we've got some returning guys that can make a difference. And, you know, you would hope that Alabama, since they graduated like, what, 20 guys in the first two rounds of the draft, you would hope that would slow them down a little bit, but they just seem to reload every year, so um, this is as big of an off season as we've had in Norman, for excitement and hype, and it's not just because of the offense; it's mostly because of the defense. And um, there's many that feel like this is a championship level defense. It's year three of Alex Grinch, so I'm uh, I'm really excited to see what they're able to do this year. And I hope that the uh, I hope the excited the excitement is warranted because, man, this is uh, it's been 21 years since they won a national championship. Now they played for several. But twenty-one years since they won, it, and it would be big for this uh, this this university, the city, the state, and of course, specifically this program to go out and win a national title.
1: Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, and you know, we talk about it. It's it's when we talk about years or or national championship or bust. I mean that that that's true. But when you keep giving yourselves these opportunities like Jimmy Smart's doing at Georgia, like Lincoln Riley's doing at Oklahoma. When you you keep beating down the door, it's going to fall eventually.
0: Lincoln said it once, we're going to hold one of those skinny trophies one of these days. It's not a matter of uh, if, but when. And I think they feel really good about their chances this year.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. Fan, you know, fans get or we, they get frustrated at times, but but you just just hang, you know, just hang with it. We keep giving our keep giving ourselves these opportunities that that one is going to go our way.
0: That's right. Hey, eventually, uh, what's I had a friend that always said if you shoot an air a, a gun in the air enough times, eventually you'll hit a duck. So if you keep predicting a national championship, eventually you'll get there. Especially <laughs> when you got the good coaches that they do.
1: There's no doubt about that. and Chris, it's been an awesome conversation today. Thank yeah, thanks, you so man. much for, for coming on. Tell tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find your work and, and give you a follow. You should do an incredible job. And, and hope we can do this again before the season starts or, and even during the season a little bit. But. Just really appreciate it, and we'll have to definitely do it again soon.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Plank Show. Um, I tweet a lot about softball, but obviously a lot about college football, too. And, yeah, man, you call me anytime. I'd love to come on. I really appreciate the time.
1: There's no doubt about that. Thank you so much, Chris. We'll talk All to man. you soon. See you soon. All right. All right. that's Chris Plank. Make sure you give him a follow. And thank you so much for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And get ready for the college football season everybody, because it's coming quick. God bless.